bitch. Ah, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Bitch, the Chicago. Hello everyone, what is up? It is me, Ewan, and this is the first official episode of the We Love Dad Movies podcast. Today, I am joined, once again, by my partner in life and in crime, Xander Godden. <laughs> I commit the crime of doing the time. And the rhyme. Mmm, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, today's episode is going to be about a movie and an actor that I have a great deal of affection for, and that is... Nicolas Cage. We're a little bit late with this one um, because we kind of had the Nicolas Cage month in April with everything that happened there with the unbearable weight of massive talent and stuff. Um, But it just kind of worked out quite happily that we went to see that movie on my birthday last month. Um, But before that, I showed you Conair because you'd never seen it before. Had a great time. And I just thought it would be appropriate for the first official kind of inaugural official episode of the Dad Movies podcast to be about Nick Cage, who is an actor who I think is synonymous with the dad movie genre, because as someone, as an actor, I just need to go into why I love him, and it's because he is so sincere. I don't think there is a there is a fabrication of Nicolas Cage, which I know kind of is like the antithesis of what is presented in the unbearable weight of massive talent. But at the same time, I just look at Nicolas Cage, and I always want to root for him because. I see someone with a who's just a complete nerd with a complete, you know, sincere love for for acting and like his career, and I love that. And I think that the movie that embodies that most of all, uh, in terms of like if we're looking at his like his action heyday in particular, um, I do think it's Conair, like him with the big flowy mullet um, <laughs> and just the, the that su- lovely southern drawl. the southern drawl. Oh, it's like molasses. It's just it just comes out, and I I, I love it. Yeah, so coincidentally, the opening scene of The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent is the final scene of, of Con Air, so it felt like it was a full circle moment, truly, as preparing to watch the, the, watch the film. And how else could we not talk about uh, a man who stars on so many dad movies? than a dad who names his son Kal-El after <laughs> Superman. I feel look, like that's just peak look, nerd dad energy. Th- there are so many bad nerd names out there in the wild, but I think you have to respect... In the whole wide world? Yeah, you have to respect Kal-El Cage. Mm. Kal-El Cage, that just... that just It rolls off the tongue. And obviously, it sounds like a boxer that's well, gonna fuck you up. Well, and obviously as well, like, Cage, he took that kind of, like, from Luke Cage. Mm. So, you know, he's just a... He's a big, he's a big lovely nerd, and... I wish that the Ghost Rider movies had worked out better for him, given how much affection he has for that character and obviously the Superman stuff too. But of course, one thing that absolutely did work out for Nick Cage's career was his status as a leading action hero. And like, Conair, I feel, is emblematic of that. I don't think it's the best action movie ever. Of course not. And I don't even think it's the best action movie Nicolas Cage made in the 1990s. I think that honour goes to The Rock, starring Sean Connery. Um, but there is just there is just a charm to Conair, and I think it's probably because of the Jerry Bruckheimerness of it all. You know, Bruckheimer, he kind of had <laughs> he's Bruckheimer as a producer is someone again who I think is synonymous with Michael Bay. And if you're looking at Conair, it shares a lot of characteristics, even though it's not a Bay film. It very much feels like of the Bay mold. You know, you have your 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 military kind of themes going into it. You know, with Nicolas Cage playing. Um, a Green Beret veteran, 
and then you you know you, you have that kind of like the sweeping camera angles the the inordinate explosions and the big kind of op- not not operatic but the big kind of stringy you know um scores that i tend to associate with with bay movies and in specifically i think that you could probably do a very good double feature here where you watched the rock and then went straight to con air <laughs> I would make the argument that the best Nicolas Cage movie is actually Face Off, uh, also a movie uh, where he plays a dad, a criminal dad, but then it's alright because then he swaps bodies with John Travolta and John Travolta also has a child and I, I think, as you said earlier, there is just such a sincerity about Nick Cage as an actor where regardless of what he's playing, it's just so committed regardless of how wild it is you know we think about the 90s films he was in like gone in 60 seconds that was that was just the just uh, just, i I mean i guess it was made in the 90s and then it came out in like the you know what it counts yeah it counts um and and i think a face off and how he is nicholas cage playing john travolta playing this other (laughs) character and each it just fully commits to the to the bit but there's no you know, there's no mockery to it. And it's very much the same in, in Con Air, where admittedly, I don't think I can think of any other Nick Cage role. He he does this lovely <laughs> accent throughout the entire picture. And it's kind of hokey, but you fully believe in it when he's there in the opening, like, working out, like a wholesome version of Cape, uh, Cape Fear. <laughs> like, and he's just, like, reading out letters from his daughter being like, what? Oh, Sally, I'm so sorry you got pushed in the dirt at school, but keep going to kindergarten, I'll see you in two years. Like, What what tattoos do you think the Cape Fear Nicholas Cage... If if we're doing the wholesome Cape Fear and it's, it's, it's the kind of, like, you know, he's got the different tattoos on, what tattoos do you think that... That um, Nicholas Cage has in Connor. Live, laugh, love. Live, laugh, love. Mm. He does give that vibe. Yeah. Um, I will say as well, you mentioned Face Off there. We are definitely going to do an episode on Hard Target because that was John Woo's kind of like entrance into um, American cinema. And I have to, t- I have to show you Hard Target because it is the most amazing thing ever. You will, you will, your life will be changed right. once you once you see that. But. Yeah, in, in, I just, there are so many different elements to Con Air that I particularly love. And one of them as well is the presence of John Cusack, who yeah. is just, um, I discovered Gross Point Blank last year as well, which I fully enjoyed. Um, and I know he kind of has like, in the in the, in the the 2000s, he kind of really went into action movies and stuff. But he's not really an actor who I think is synonymous with the genre. But whenever he does show up in it, he's great. And the same goes for Colmini as well, who just has the most hilarious time um, in this. I think, you know, we've all seen him in Star Trek The Next Generation, but yeah, he, he he's great in this too. But yeah, you've been you've been dying to read out the letterbox synopsis for Connor, so it's... I'm I'm gonna let you take that away. Yeah, now. so some of you may be listening and have no idea what Connor is, you know. You might be a bunch of hip youths following Ewan and being quite interested <laughs> no in No one what he is, no uh... no one no one hip is no well, one. Well, maybe no like mid twenties. Everyone you know, is deeply like uncool. Z. You are all especially you um so do follow us on letterboxd uh if you're if you're <laughs> oh, so inclined what a, what a seamless, seamless plug. plug uh find me zandagon on, uh, <laughs> on letterboxd um so the synopsis on letterboxd reads they were deadly on the ground now they have wings when the government puts all its rotten criminal eggs in one airborne basket it's asking for trouble before you can say pass the bath bag the crooks control the plane, led by creepy Cyrus the Virus Griffin, the most bitchin' criminal name you could 
ever get I'd really. I love Cyrus the virus. He just rolls off the tongue. Mm. Uh, watching his every move is the just released Cameron Poe, who'd rather reunite with his family. Cameron Poe, not being Poe Dameron, I can see where Star Wars got their inspiration from. We see you, Disney. <laughs> we see where you're coming from. Uh, Cameron Poe, the lead character played by Nicholas Cage. Honestly, you pointed it out now, and I'm like. Poe Cameron. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then Cyrus the Virus, played by John Malkovich. I would argue this whole movie, in a way, has an ensemble cast. Uh, we've already talked about John Cusack, uh, Cole Meany. It also has Ving Rhames, Dave Chappelle, we won't talk about him. Uh, Steve Buscemi is my absolute favourite, which we'll get on to. And one Danny Trejo, Machete himself. As uh, Johnny 23. Yeah, 23, because of all the flowers you, you know he has what? on his you, arm. You know who we have to, to shout out here as well? I've never seen... I don't know if I've seen MC Ganey in a movie before, but he has the best name in this. I know you've, you've bigged up Cyrus the Virus. I've got to give a shout-out to my man, Earl Swamp Thing Williams. Mm, yes, Your nickname yeah. is Swamp Thing? That's just great. That's just... I love that. I wonder if it's because he looks a bit like Alan Moore. <laughs> Me? I'm not... I'm not seeing... I'm... Mm. Yeah, or maybe they, he was just very greasy in prison. We'll we'll never yeah. never well, know. Well, his other credits include Tangled and Django and Chained. So you know that, that's just a, that's just a, I, I think Swamp Thing is the highlight of his career there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we have looked up stats. I promise we do research these movies uh, twenty minutes before we record this. Uh, but we did find out one of the things that this movie was nominated for was best song for. <laughs> which le- leads nicely into the opening of the movie, which I feel like we've mentioned some things there, but uh, truly, this movie kind of really hooks you in in the first five, ten minutes. Yeah. It just blasts yeah. that song. There's some wholesome southern energy. And then uh, veteran Nick Cage accidentally kills a man. Yeah, in well, he, he gets the worst kind of southern hospitality. I mentioned earlier on that this is a very Bruckheimery movie. You know, it opens up with a montage and a narration about the U.S. Army Rangers and the Green Berets, and, you know, Green Berets lead the way, and there's a lot of troop respecting going on in this movie, except the guys who Nick Cage encounters at the start of the movie who don't respect the troops at all. And because they don't understand the troops, they, uh, they, they, they suffer an accidental tragedy and, you know, Nick Cage winds up going to prison and it's the whole thing of the, uh, it, th- this is the one thing that I want to hone in on here about why I think Conair is a very good dad movie. Because it opens up those, those, those conversations that you would have where if like, you know, oh, what would you do in that situation? What if you came back from a war and these guys were like harassing your your fiance would you know what this would thing you use this, deadly force? this thing could happen you know it's an accident you know it's just not his fault and stuff and it's that to me is like an inherent dad movie conversation like maybe watching gladiator and and and, and dad being like hey this ever happened to you, sir? <laughs> if I was ever in gladiatorial if, combat, if, if, this ever, for my if, right. the, if some Roman, some Roman emperor came round and and killed you and mum, <laughs> don't worry about it. I'd exact sweet bloody revenge. And yeah. You know what? I'd raise my glass to that. I'd be like, Dad, I appreciate that. Thank you for for saying that. And I feel like Conair is one of those. It's just, it's just one of those natural, like, kind of dad movie conversations where it's just like. Oh, it's an normal guy. And he, well, he's not. He's a he's a train killer, but he gets caught up in extraordinary circumstances and ends up doing the right thing. And I feel like that is a kind of universal dad movie kind of thing, especially with the 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 the, the romance elements and the paternalistic elements too. With oh, it's with such his a daughter. dad movie opening. Comes back, beautiful southern belle blonde. 
pregnant and all. <laughs> and then he defends her honor and then is arguably wrongfully imprisoned at a federal state prison for the act of um, killing this this man because he used deadly, deadly force and therefore manslaughter doesn't account for it. So he's in prison for a good, what, seven, I think five to seven years yes. they, they imprison him yeah, for. Yeah. And he takes that time to learn languages and read and have a great old time in prison, which is uh, all altogether quite wholesome. Um, and from there, obviously, he eventually uh, gets out. He served his time. His pal that he's with um, is going out with him, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the diabetic. For some reason, they thought, oh, considering these guys are all, you know, leaving at the same time, we might as well put them on the same transport with a bunch of rogues gallery we're gonna, we're gonna put nick cage on a plane with genghis khan with with Adolf Hitler, jeffrey dahmer we're just thinking about um the, the book of mormon song at this point <laughs> yeah we we got it's like it just sounds genghis like a really khan, jeffrey dahmer. <laughs> it just sounds like a really sick social experiment like a mr beast youtube video like he's what like what have we got these sickos in these <laughs> yeah. you know what it is it's george carlin's theory about how to manage the budget by putting different types of uh criminals into different uh square shaped states <laughs> That's exactly what this movie is, but on a, on a smaller Look, scale. It's literally actually. just, it's a Mr. Beast YouTube video. He's gone, we caught this US Army Ranger and we put him on a video on a plane with with uh, all these sickos. And this is what happened. And there'd be like some like clickbaity stuff going on. Um, yeah, it's not the most full foolproof plan ever. Um, and it, basically things just go from bad to worse from, from there. You know, he gets on the plane with his buddy um cyrus the virus who he is like a little pin in his thumb he, how many degrees does he earn in, in in prison or something oh yes he was imprisoned very young but then added an extra 20 years on because he just kept escaping and trying killing people yeah. in prison yeah cyrus has like he's got like five phds yeah, he, he stu- yes he studied uh, truly I, i've already said this but it's like look if you were to describe to someone what are the tropes of john markovich's acting i think i'd just point them to con air uncomfortable Yes, a man who will make you feel uncomfortable. Mm. Um, he doesn't. He doesn't. With, he doesn't withstand bullshit though. Like he does. He does have his. His. his you know. He. He. He hates Johnny Twenty Three for for all the. You know the. The, the not great crimes that he commits throughout the movie. Well, attempts to commit yes. throughout the movie and historically had committed. Um, but yeah, you know, Nick Cage winds up on this plane. We know that Colmini, who is a member of the the DEA. Uh, I believe, and, you know, he puts one of his own agents on the plane, gives them a loaded weapon, even though John Cusack of the U.S. Marshal Service, Vince Larkin, again, great name, um, basically is like, you can't bring a gun onto my plane, whatever, he does it anyway, he's Colmini, he can do whatever he wants. He's got a very slick car, Yeah, he's, because oh he's part of the government, God, and the, he's got money. The, the, the little Chevy Corvette Stingray. Because truly, it's oh. the dad experience to look at a posh car and, car and go... Oh, it's not even that. that. I feel guy. like it's an obligatory thing to, to put these beautiful cars in these movies, and then just destroy them. It's yeah. the James Bond syndrome. Mm-hmm. You've got a very sexy car, we're going to... St- destroy it and it it breaks it breaks just to make them you break like my heart never, fredo actually get that car you yeah know? i know it's only a dream it's a pain but you know john cusack does get to drive it and it's a great little time but yeah um while on the plane um all sorts of shenanigans ensue we have the the big takeover occur and at this point you know um cameron is put in a bit of a dilemma because he's got to be like well I do kind of have this opportunity to leave the plane because, you know, they need to basically fool the 
the next stopover to basically convince them that, you know, the exchange is happening and that they aren't all making their mad getaway to, um, you know, a, a country with, with diplomatic immunity. Mm. Um, but he chooses not to because his best buddy is going in, basically having um, a, a diabetic episode and all his meds are basically ruined on the plane. So he decides to stay behind. You know, it's that classic, that classic troop respect and courage. I'm going to let you die today. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and you know he's just he's just a complete he's a bit of a superhero in this movie you know like in in The Rock he plays a nerd and a bit of a coward at one point you know Sean Connery has to give him the big pep talk about prom queens and whatnot but here you know he is just a bona fide like I am America's best and brightest in almost a Michael Scott to Dunder Mifflin type way to bring it to the office it's he you can bring this, it to the office oh, absolutely uh, <laughs> You already quoted it earlier with the molasses comment. Oh, that's true. Um, but he, he, it's the right thing to do. And, and, you know, he has this opportunity to break out, you know, really, he should be angry at the system because he's been in prison for so long. Literally did not see the birth of his daughter or her grow up and go through school and stuff. Um, but he's like, no, I need to do what what's right. And so he pretends that, oh, I've got 10 more years left, so I'm going to go with you guys. Da, 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 I'm da. actually a hardened killer. Yeah, and, and with the benefit of, one, well, I'm going to stop these guys, and maybe, you know, deep down he knows what's doing is doing what's right, but also, as you said, his friend is going into diabetic shock and they can't mm. access his medication until the layover. Yeah, and all the while this is happening, um, John Cusack, Vince Larkin, he's basically trying to figure out what the hell is going on, and we kind of get a bit of a diehard setup here. You know, I think when we were watching this, you mentioned it was quite diehardy. Um, I always think the Die Hard on a Plane movie is Air Force One, but I will concede that there are more. You know, there's executive decision as well, which I can't wait to show you because that's just a great time. Die Hard 2 at an airport. That is at an airport. (laughs) There is a brief fight scene on a plane as well. Um, But we kind of have that similar situation where in the first Die Hard, you know, you have Bruce Willis basically trying to feed information to, to our boy Al. And the FBI come on and, and, and they're basically like, who this guy could be anything. We kind of have that similar thing of trust where we have the the the, the traditional quote-unquote law enforcement element on the ground. It's like, how could you trust this convict, this yeah. murderer? This murdering man, Cameron Poe. And I just, I, I love John Cusack's boyish charm. He's just such a boy. Even when he's an adult, he's a boy. He's a just an lad. absolute, he's just a little lad. And I think it's the haircut, you know. I think it's just that little, the little curtainy haircut and the the great little sunglasses too. Um, and even though they don't spend much, if I think they, the amount of screen time they must have together in this movie must be like what three minutes, four minutes. I think less, even less than that for 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 Kuzak and Cage. They have some fun little friendship and chemistry going on, and I very much, I very much appreciate that. And I just, I, I'm a, I'm a sucker for for for. <laughs> You know, it is a guy's rock movie. Let's put it this way: it's a guy, it's a dude's rock movie. You know, these it's all about dudes, just guys being dudes, dudes looking out for each other. Yeah, there's a lot of bad dudes as well, but at the end of the day, you know, it's all about putting the bunny back in the box and and helping your your your, your pal out. And I just that whole trust thing as well leads to my favorite scene in the movie, and it's not the best scene in the movie by a long shot but it is my favourite one and it's the bit where they stick John Cusack and Cole Meany in these two military Cobra attack helicopters which just makes no sense whatsoever if I'm putting my nerd brain on 
but they're in these these little helicopters and the way the film is just arranged it's just them yelling at each other in their dumb little yes. stupid helicopters it's the most hilarious thing you know they've got Kuzak ordering his pilot to like fly in front of columns and he's trying to like basically like, shoot it down, shoot it down. Try, trying to blow up an entire plane full of people um which is just insane um <laughs> I just love that scene so much. And, you know, it comes from the whole trust thing as well, but there are just some objectively entertaining and hilarious moments to this movie. <laughs> no, it's it's almost in on the joke in some way. And as you say, I think it's because it's got that Michael Bay aspect to it. Um, You you know, there's the infamous shot of where he gets off the bus and the, the cool breeze just blows his lush, lush hair behind him. And there's another one when he's uh, talking to Ving Rhames and Ving Rhames' character is uh, a member of the Black Panthers, or at the very least a black nationalist, mm-hmm. arguing for like a black ethno state. Um, and he's uh, saying he's only working with Cyrus the Virus because it, it's an own means to his end and then to eventually take over. And um, uh, Cameron, or Nick Cage's character, says to him like, oh, why are you following this white man giving you orders? And makes mm-hmm. him think, and there's a shot where he is in the sun's on his face and he has a little wink to the camera. And it's just, <laughs> it's very, it's, it, it's, it's like, it loves Nicolas Cage and it knows he's got this charm to him. And yeah. I think that's part of the whole hokey character he, he's got because there are multiple times when other characters make fun of him for being a little a little redneck cowboy. But he sure is the softest, red, softest redneck cowboy that I know. Yeah, I think that's true. I feel like there are elements of it where it's like it's an illness joke, but also I think it treats the source, which, well, not the source, but it, it just treats its subject matter with such sincerity. Like there is a lot of cartoonishness to the movie. Um, but it, it, it's never in that kind of, like, MCU kind of, like, oh, look how embarrassing we're being, you know, that kind of wink-wink, nudge-nudge approach, and I kind of really appreciate about that. Um, and I'm just looking at the director, Simon West, right now. I had no idea that he directed the music video for Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up. Oh, delightful. That's just a delightful fact. I only know him from, um, The Expendables 2, which is also, I think, the best Expendables movie there's, it kind of has a similar tone where it's very much like, whereas that is obviously going to be way more self-referential and nostalgic and sentimental and and and, and, and on the joke, um, it, it it does have that same fun, good humoured approach to to action movies, which I really appreciate. Uh, I do think we need to talk about Steve Buscemi in a little bit more detail here because in terms of the characters in this movie. Everyone is playing a huge caricature. You know, everything is dialed up to 11. Everyone is playing a cartoon. And, and Steve Buscemi is no exception. But he's kind of dropped into this movie. and Halfway through. Halfway through. Say. As like the Hannibal Lecter, you know, feared serial killer who's super creepy. And the, the movie, <laughs> it tries to make him out to be super creepy. He's not. He's, he's not. A, he's, he's an just, all right guy who's a bit just, mentally ill, really. He's just, he's just a guy. He's just a guy. And they've run, like, I think he says some creepy things. He, 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 he says some creepy things to old Cameron Poe at some he wore point. A, he wore a woman's skin as a hat when yes. he was uh, driving away from the scene yeah, of the crime. Did. Yeah, he But, like, you know, we also get some character growth of him. You know, he goes to that trailer park and he's like, oh, I sure do want to murder me a child. <laughs> and then uh, basically decides not to. And you know what? That's character growth. Good for him. At the end of the movie, he's in Vegas living his best life. He is. Look, the movie even knows that he's just a guy. You know, maybe he murdered, you know, I think 20 to 30 young kids across, you know, the the, the West Coast. But really, he's learned. He learned to sing. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got a doll now. And, you know, this big dramatic final scene where this the plane's coming down is going to crash into the Vegas Strip. And you just can't fully take it seriously because he's just there 
loudly <laughs> singing whole world. It is and you're like, this I love. Yeah. I love. And everyone else on the plane is kind of like, oh, Jesus, like, I'm not sure of this guy. And he's just casually having a chat with Nick Cage being like, oh, don't trust these guys. I think they've not thought this fully through. And it's like, all right, mate, good good for you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's interesting considering how the 90s had the... Uh, as we lovingly say from the, uh, the the show that you love, the Peter Geddon, if you will, they make him quite a <laughs> quite a nice, a nice character in a, in a way. It's a it's it's, it's a bit. Well, maybe odd. that's what's creepy. Maybe, maybe maybe he's just so charming, but really he's like a Hannibal Lecter type thing, and it is kind of like you know, to, to, to do a very <laughs> comparing, a really bad comparison here. But you know, at like the ending of Silence of the Lambs, where Lecter has escaped, and it's he's going to have his his fun with. Um, with with Doctor with Doctor Chilton, uh, it's kind of got that same that kind of weirdly triumphalist attitude where it's just like not triumphalist, but it's that celebratory attitude of like, hey, the charming serial killer has gotten away again. Like, yeah, you eat that guy, you, you have your fun. Yeah, you you pawn your little hat, Hannibal, and you have your little you have your little dumb way with your own psychologist. Yeah, so Steve Buscemi character, you go have your fun in Vegas. Yeah, exactly. not with children, but have your fun in Vegas. <laughs> Maybe just just walk into someone else's Vegas movie, walk into casino, walk into whatever. Just just do some gambling. Just have a have a fun time on the Vegas Strip, but um, yeah, I really, really love Conair. Uh, I think it's a solid three and a half star movie, which is probably you know antithetical to the idea of loving something. But I do think you can love stuff that you consider just objectively be. It's good. It's a solid popcorn movie. I, yeah. would, I would I say that in a in a good way. I feel like mm-hmm. sometimes uses a derogatory in online film critic spaces, but I do mean that very genuinely. It's just a nice film to throw on and just have a good time with. And yeah. You're not going in thinking it's going to, you know, blow away all expectations, but I would say it slaps mm-hmm. TM. Yeah. yeah, and I do think that maybe, you know, in, in the conversations that we have about Nicolas Cage, about, you know, the, the kind of memification of him that took place over... You know, the past two decades, we do overlook that, you know, there is a reason why he's one of the highest grossing actors in the 90s. You know, he he has a lot of, he has a great screen presence. And like, even though there is objectively hilarious parts to his performance in Conair, it's just fun. I just, I you know, if a man can't say it, another man put the bunny back in the box... Then, then where are we as a society, you know? And truly, he is pretty books. He does murder that one guy. And, you know, if anything, this movie did give me Dave Chappelle being thrown out of a big plane <laughs> and landing on a portal. Oh, he does. He, he falls. A, he, yeah, he gets caught on the landing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the worst. He gets the most undignified death in the movie. That's what I That's what I think he deserves. Yeah. 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 But, um, yeah, I think, I, think, I think that was Conair. <laughs> I, w- I will briefly, before we do go, you mentioned the source material before. Uh, one thing in our very in-depth research, one of the first things that comes up on Google when you search Conair is, is Conair based on a true story? Look. I wish it was. Look, look maybe there was a cover-up. Maybe, maybe there was a cover-up. You maybe can't... there's a big wreckage of, like, this big airplane. Yeah. I think, I'm just saying, you know, before we got JFK, we had, what, that, exe- was it executive action? I'm gonna have to quickly look this up. Executive, is it executive action? Exe- Come on, please tell me I'm right. I'm gonna be so happy if I'm right. Yes, you know, before we had JFK, we had executive action, which was a conspiracy movie about JFK's assassination. What if Conair has paved the way for the, the the true the true Oliver Stone type takedown of what really happened on Prisoner Flight? I don't know. 
whatever prison of flight it was. Much like how in, um, is it not the Hunt for Red October? What's the other one? The the Rock. Much like much like in the Rock, uh, where they actually thought that those terrorist gas bombs were real. <gasps> oh, I can't wait to real. do that episode. I can't <laughs> wait to do that episode. I, I hope that people uh, looked at um, uh, Con Air and thought, we should put all the waste of the waste in one big transport together. This is this will surely lead to some great shenanigans. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think, I think maybe, if anything, the lesson here is that we need more Con Air. Why don't we fly with Con Air? Let's go. I mean, to be fair, they do have a full Leonardo DiCaprio uh, uh, moment where they says, welcome to Con Air, and we all go, whoa, and oh, point at the true. screen dramatically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I fully enjoyed it. Is it better than Face Off? Oh, well, this is have to have to be seen when we eventually watch Face Off. We will. We'll get to it. I think we'll do, we'll do a John Woo thing, because I need to show you Hard Target. I think... Anyone listening to this right now who has seen Hard Target will know just how hard that movie slaps. Um, and I think that might be up there with like a zenith of just just brilliantly underrated and ridiculous 90s action movies. Um, so I'm looking forward to doing that. But yeah, um, this was the, the We Love Dad Movies podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this this chaotic episode about Conair. It was chaotic, as chaotic as the, as the film itself. Um, you can follow me if you want to on Twitter at you and ruins things. Um, you're not on Twitter anymore. I keep no, but this. if you do want to follow our hot, hot film takes, you can follow us on Letterboxd, uh, just Xander Garden. You can hunt me down on there. I don't exist in any other, uh, you know, plane. You only exist in, in a filmic level. I yeah, think once I, the podcast stops, you disappear. I'm like that one frame of the penis in Fight Club. I just exist like <laughs> in between the phases of, of reality. And if they want to follow this podcast, you and where can they find all things podcast? They can follow the Wheel of Dad Moody's podcast on Twitter at Wheel of Dad Moody's. I do have a few not announcements to make, but sort of plans that I do want to talk about before we go. Um, I do want to set up a Patreon. There was some interest when I brought it up last week, so I do think I'll be doing that. I have an essay in the works on Lee Van Cleef, so when we get to do some westerns, I'll get that up. Um, but yeah, next week, uh, I don't know what we're going to do. I kind of want to do executive decision, um, but we shall see. I also may have a guest in store for a few Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan movies. Um, so keep your eyes peeled for that. But yeah, this has been the We Love Dad Movies podcast. We love you. Um, and we will see you next time. Bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs>